You are listening to episode number 103 of Conjuring Up Courage. Continuing right along with our Pride Palooza series, today's guest is Eva Bloom, a queer sexuality educator and sex science communicator. I had a total blast chatting with Eva about things like how to move beyond sexual scripts that come from cis heteropatriarchy, sexual compatibility considerations, sexting privacy, navigating dating apps, and communication as an integral part of casual sex. To access the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, head to shoredavity.com forward slash 103. That's shoredavity.com forward slash 103. This episode is brought to you in part by Ample and Rooted, an inclusive therapy practice that provides an affirming and welcoming home for diverse individuals to reclaim their inherent worth. The folks at Ample and Rooted created a guided meditation on cultivating self-trust just for listeners, and it's available in the show notes for this episode. This is Conjuring Up Courage, and I'm your host, Shore Davidi. As a self-trust coach, I help people come home to themselves so they can be more of who they are and less haunted by who they think they're supposed to be. I created this podcast to celebrate what's possible when you commit to being brave. You'll hear from diverse guests who are refusing to let fear and self-doubt stop them from building fulfilling lives and creating a better world for everyone. I'll also teach you my favorite tools, strategies, and mindset shifts so you can do the same. Consider this your invitation to stop living according to shoulds and to step into your motherfucking magic instead. Stay open, get curious, and let's grow together. Hi, Eva. I am so stoked for what will surely be a fun conversation today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We jumped right into chatting. I feel immediately at ease and having a great time. (laughs) Excellent. I know everyone else didn't get to enjoy our chatting, but now we're going to bring them into the fold and they can be a part of the fun too. Yes. (laughs) So let's start by having you tell me a little bit more about you and what you're passionate about. Ooh, I'm passionate about queer sex ed. I'm passionate about making sure that sex research doesn't die in academic journals behind paywalls so that nobody gets the knowledge. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. I'm passionate about reading all the sapphic YA and sapphic romance ever published. (laughs) I will be needing to get some recommendations from you. I got you. (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling you have a lot. It's basically all I've done in quarantine. I'm like, to get a steady flow of books. Yep. So tell people just a little bit about your background and how you came to do the work that you're doing now. Whoa. How did I come to do the work I'm doing now? The more I tell this like origin story, the more I realize that I've been a sex educator for much longer than I often think of. I founded my high school's Gay Straight Alliance when I was like 16, when I was a fervent straight ally. Uh, Been there, (laughs) been through that phase. (laughs) I have to eventually ask the members and be like, y'all just let me get away with that. Nobody thought to check in and be like, so straight. Okay. (laughs) Tell us more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, people were dating in the group and I was like, that girl's pretty wild. She think I'm pretty. I'm like, Eva! 
very silly. But yeah, basically for the Gay Straight Alliance, I would do like peer sex ed lessons. I would like be watching Lacey Green's videos. I don't recommend Lacey Green now, but like she was really pivotal in terms of like giving me feminism 101, sex ed 101. And I would like come back to this little corner classroom at our high school and be like, let's talk about sex ed. Like, let's talk about queer identity. Yeah. And I've kind of been like a huge nerd in general, but like sex nerdery has always been something that's really sparked something in me. Just like, I don't know. I just think it's incredibly fun and playful. And I love learning about like relationships. I did my master's degree kind of focusing on social psychology. So I love learning about like human interactions. And I also had as many folks have had not the best beginning to my sexual history. So I feel like I was spurred on to learn a lot more there and very much like impassioned to be like, I want to help people go on this journey that I've gone on and not have the not so great sex that I've had. (laughs) I love that. Also, when you're mentioning gay straight alliances, I honestly had forgotten that those were a thing because I definitely (laughs) went to a high school where that would not have been allowed and like nobody was out. And I'm sure this has changed by now, but at the time it was very much a place where everyone who I know who went to my high school who eventually came out as queer was not out in high school. Yeah, talk about like courage. I don't know how I was so fearless in doing this, like I went to camp and I had a friend who went to an art school in another part of the city. And she was talking about how her school had a gay straight alliance. And my brain was just like, well, my high school should have a gay straight alliance. And I literally like put gay posters around the school with all the Glee cast members on them, (laughs) of course. It was interesting. It was hard to get like a staff advisor to be a part of it. The like queer staff members who weren't totally out at the time were like nervous to be a staff advisor, but one of the guidance counselors pulled through to make it happen. Yeah, see, at my school in Texas, like, oh. yeah, exactly. All you need to know is that I went to public school in Texas and you're like, oh no, yeah. bad. Oh. I was like, just having like a Young Democrats club at our school was like a big thing. Whoa. And like the teacher who was in charge of it was my favorite teacher and was amazing, but he got so much flack for running the Young Democrats club and like the school administration absolutely hated that the club existed. Wow. So yeah, the Gay Straight Alliance would have made their brain explode at that time. Dang. Oh, that's so tough. Yeah, that's true. I'm definitely very lucky to have grown up in Toronto, in Canada. It's a little bit easier to start a gay straight alliance. (laughs) But that allyship thing, it's so real. Like, I think I was talking to Erica Smith about it recently, who's been on the podcast a number of times, and she was Mm -hmm. calling it like the super duper ally phase that Mm -hmm. most people (laughs) go through where you're just like, no, I'm just like, really strangely passionate about this cause that has nothing to do with me. No, just like, I just really love the people in my life who are in this community, which is not to say that you can't do that, but it can be a symbol of something more going on. Yeah. I had a pride poster in my freshman dorm room. I just didn't question it at all, though, which boggles my mind. (laughs) 
And why would you? Because, of course, in this cis-heteropatriarchal world oh. that we live in, right? The mm-hmm. whole point is that you wouldn't question any of that. So oh, yeah, that's true. Blamed. No, I was in the grips of combat, very, very <laughs> tightly in the grips. Oh, oh, we will get to combat. <laughs> yeah. We will yeah. get there. So this is a Pride Palooza episode. Super exciting. Going to come out during Pride Month. So to all listening, happy Pride to you. And we're going to be talking about sex and dating from a queer focus. And I think much of what we'll talk about will also be applicable to all of the straights listening as well. So don't (laughs) worry, y'all. Like, you're going to learn tons of great stuff, too. But we will be skewing more towards the queers today, which is Mm -hmm. always fun. So (laughs) speaking of cis-heteropatriarchy, I think one of the first things that would be great to talk about is some of the like sexual scripts and rules that come from cis-heteropatriarchy that a lot of us find ourselves getting stuck in. And this especially is true because I think queer folks are more likely to realize this and start getting out of it, but straight folks can also majorly benefit from realizing what these scripts and rules are and trying to redefine them. Yeah, 100%. That's definitely like a huge ethos for me in terms of my sex education, that like it is queer focused, but also can benefit the heck out of straight people too. Ooh, I'm currently in the middle of diving into like reading about scripts and stuff. A huge one that like messed with me was around like sex drive, that men just naturally have higher sex drives and women have lower sex drives, which is not true. I mean, for one, the gender binary is a social fabrication. We made it up. (laughs) But that there's actually more variation like within these gender categories that we created, then there is like variation across it. That's a big one. I think for me, one of the things that I've really had to unlearn is sex as performance, especially Mm. as a woman. When I look back at the earliest days of my sex life and the partners that I had at that time, like it's not that I didn't enjoy it or it wasn't pleasurable. It was, Mm -hmm. but it certainly wasn't focused on my pleasure. And so much of what I was doing, even like subconsciously was about like, what will make the cishet male partner that I'm with feel good? And how do I look and how do I make sounds and act that are for their benefit instead of being like, is this what I really want to do in this situation? And when I stripped away the performance of it to be able to figure out what I actually want, that's been an extremely empowering thing to do, but it was also very difficult to make that shift. Yeah, 100%. Well, I think the like scripts and rules are so like anti- women having sexual desire (laughs) or like have being horny, like wanting things sexually, which is like super terrifying, especially in terms of like a rape culture perspective that like, oh, you think like it's not okay for women to actually want sex, basically. The messages are like so little about like what do women actually like sexually that totally becomes about like that sex is about catering to like a cis male gaze and the cis male pleasure. I saw this term in a sex research paper and it made me so happy, happy, angry, but like the phallocentric, (laughs) (laughs) happy rage, the phallocentric imperative. Mm, (laughs) Just, yeah. 
that like so much of our society's cis heteronormative idea of sex is that like all hail the phallus we must all <laughs> bow down to its power that's like the center of what sex is yeah it is and it's like you have this juxtaposition going up again depends where you grow up but like me growing up in texas right i didn't get any real sex ed like we had health class as freshmen and the only like sex education parts of the health class were about very stigmatizing STI stuff about look at these photos of Mm -hmm. people who are having these outbreaks and then also don't have sex abstinence only education. And then you compare that to what you see in movies and media and porn if you're watching it. And it's like you're getting a very skewed idea of like what sex is. And it's put Mm -hmm. into this very narrow box where you're like, okay, sex is this thing. And if you don't know where to look for other information, then it could take a long time to realize that like, oh, sex can be a whole lot of things. And it doesn't have to be that one thing that I learned. Yeah. It's so interesting that like, yeah, you grew up in Texas. I grew up in Toronto, but my sex wasn't that much better. I would say Mm -hmm. that like, it didn't have that like active, like shamey abstinence as much, but like legitimately the only thing I remember from sex ed was that my gym teacher at the time just happened to be away on sports engagements. Jury's still out whether they purposefully didn't want to teach the sex ed unit. <laughs> but I remember like a substitute teacher like slamming down like a diagram of like the penis or like vulva anatomy for us to label. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is very helpful for me as a sexual being and navigating like all that sexuality is. But yeah, the like, it's so wild to me. The media representation of sex is so, so narrow. And I'm so frustrated with it at this point. I don't know whether you watched Bridgerton. I did not (laughs) because I heard such fascinating things about it that I was like, I cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Because honestly, at this point, I'm like, this is straight propaganda that I do not wish (laughs) to consume. We have surpassed the need for sex scenes to only be three minutes, penetration only, simultaneous orgasm. I'm like, no, (laughs) I refuse. I agree completely. It's like, I get so frustrated when I see that in media now. And honestly, I'm at a point in my life now where I'm trying to watch like as much queer media as possible and like Mm -hmm. ignoring most things that are like really straight centered where I'm like, I'm bored with this. Mm -hmm. I don't want it. (laughs) Well, like in terms of oral sex and what body parts are acceptable to be shown, there are still like these holdovers of like guidelines where like sex outside the cis heteronorm is rated more explicit or right. like certain body parts aren't allowed to be seen. And in terms of like queer representation too, like holdovers from like the Hayes Code, like this shit like still exists. I saw a clip from This May Destroy You, I think. Oh, yes. It's an HBO show I've been meaning to watch. Yeah, I saw a clip of a period sex scene and the guy removing this person's tampon. And I was like, wait, I don't think I've never seen this. I've never seen this in media. I, yeah. I don't think I have ever seen like an actual scene. Like I've watched shows where they talk about it. Like crazy Mm ex-girlfriend is one of my favorite shows. And they have like an entire (laughs) song about period sex Mm -hmm. in it, which I will link to in the show notes because it's great. (laughs) Um, But they don't ever actually 
show the act. And uh, now that I'm thinking yeah. about it, I'm like, I actually don't think I've ever seen that. And period sex is one of those things that we're taught is very, very mm-hmm. shameful. And that mm-hmm. like, you know, if you think about this idea of like sexual preferences, right, that like mm-hmm. a lot of partners, particularly cishet male partners will be mm-hmm. like, well, I'm okay with it in theory, but like, I just don't <laughs> prefer that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, but would that be different if you hadn't been taught your whole life that like period blood is dirty and like, you know, women shouldn't be touched when they have their period and things like that. Yeah, a billion percent. When it's like literally just this like bodily function. That, right. <laughs> that's so funny that you bring up Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because I literally asked on my Instagram yesterday for people to, if they're passionate about the show, to urge me to watch it. And I have had so many DMs of people being like, you must watch this show immediately. So it's going on the top of my to watch. <laughs> Put it on the top. I'm on my third watch through of the show. It's become one of my comfort shows when I just like need to watch something I've already watched. It's so great. So many of the songs are amazing. Like, and I love musicals in general. So like, it does not bother me that people are breaking out into song, but like this show is like raunchy. It's super sex positive. It's mental health positive. Like I just cannot recommend it more highly. Yay. I also love musicals too. Honestly, I don't know what's taking me so long to watch it, but clearly this will change in the very near future. (laughs) All right. Back to the subject at hand, sexual scripts, sexual rules. So Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about a few of them. Mm -hmm. How can people start to recognize that those exist and try to break out of them in their own sex life? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like sometimes because they really are like ever present, it is helpful to like listen to a podcast and like, For like sure. get some information where they're just like naming that these sexual scripts exist. And then once you start to see them, you can't unsee them. <laughs> and like you start noticing them and yeah, like the movies that you watch, like the music that you listen to. I would really say like, take some time to reflect on like what were kind of the formative pieces of media around sexuality that you consumed growing up. Like what type of scripts existed there and like see if you can notice patterns or like are there ones that still are popping up in your sex life and I would say like consuming media that like rebukes those scripts is incredibly powerful I think especially that like find somewhere to get that better sex education if you didn't get it is so important. Like there's so many incredible sex educators on Instagram in particular on TikTok that are just amazing. So if you're like, wow, I didn't even realize these scripts existed, like seeking out that information is so helpful. And it's so funny how you said like media and how the media perpetuates them because something that I've always thought was really funny is how in so many songs written by like cishet male (laughs) artists, There's like this obsession with the idea of like, we're going to go all night long, right? And what they're like specifically referring to penetrative sex all night long, right? Like she's going to ride it all night long and these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And like, look, I went the like straight to bisexual to lesbian pipeline. So like, (laughs) I may not be the best person to think about this, but in talking with friends who do enjoy (laughs) having sex with people with penises, they have all expressed that like, no, it is not fun to just ride a dick all night long. And so I find it hilarious that so many songs are just like, yeah, we're going to go to like midnight till the sunrise and all this stuff. And I'm just like, do we know about the anatomy of the vagina and the vulva and how just like constant like penetration actually starts to not feel that great if you don't take breaks from it? No, that is so funny. We do know statistically that queer sex in general lasts longer 
than yes. cishet sex. It's because the obsession with like such a limited definition of sex. I'm like, sex can last all night long. If you're right. doing a whole bunch of different things, if you're having like penetration might not be able to last all night long. But like, if you're having like a full body experience, taking turns, like, sure. But are cishet men doing it? But th- this is what I mean. I'm like, this is not what these songs are describing. Because like queer folks are like, oh, hells yeah, I'm going to go have sex for like six to eight hours. They're also going to like take breaks and have snacks and like mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. all kinds of great things during that time period because queer folks have really expanded beyond the idea of penetration or many have at least as like being the center and only thing that you do in sex. But like the language that's used in songs is specifically always about like penetration. And if you think that she likes that, that you just like keep going and keep going and keep keep going, Mm -hmm. I'm like, some people might, but I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that most women that I've talked to are like, yeah, it reaches the point where it's just like, okay, can we end this? Check in the watch. We're ready to be done with you pumping into me. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm also like, you talk a big game, but I think you're full of crap. Mm-hmm, that too, where I'm just like, are you able to go for six hours, sir? Don't I don't so. know about that. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, this actually is a surprisingly great segue (laughs) to talking about sexual compatibility and communication. You actually had a great post recently about how there's kind of like this base level sexual bar that you want your partners Mm -hmm. to be able to meet in terms of consent and like things like that, but that we can actually go beyond that to look at like, all right, are we actually compatible in the things that like we're interested in? And so I'd love to talk about that concept and like, what are things where it's like, this is fine. Like we don't need to necessarily be a match on this versus things where it's like, oh, maybe these can't be worked on. And like sexually a partner who is more aligned with you on that might be a better match. Ooh, I love this. I do really think that we like perpetuate that there is an ideal type of sexuality And that, like, if you learn all these skills and you, like, work up whatever and you put all the pieces together that, like, eventually there's, like, one way to be sexual that is ideal for everybody. And that's just not true. (laughs) Like, truly, like, everybody likes different things and has a different perspective on sex and intimacy. And two people can have such different preferences and perspectives The inspiration for that post was I was doing an interview series with Honey Playbox and my wonderful friend and colleague Gabby at Gab Alexa. And we got the chance to interview this amazing group of sex positive men, which was like honestly a powerful experience for me to just be like in a room full of men that like have a certain level of like sexual competence and Mm -hmm. just like understanding and sex positivity. And we were talking about like, what does good sex mean to you? And it just became so apparent to me that like all of these men had very different things in what they valued in good sex and like what good sex meant to them. Like for some people, it might be like that emotional intimacy for the other that might be like level of exploration and novelty for somebody else. It might be like having a level of like reciprocity and exchange And I think like maybe we have this idea that like we need to value all these things equally or that like the best sex has like all of these things all the time. But that's not true. Like if really sexual intimacy is the intimacy, emotional intimacy is what makes sex really exciting for you. You don't need to care about novelty. But like if novelty and excitement and exploration is really what makes sex cool, (laughs) like, like a positive experience for you, just because you don't value that emotional intimacy as much 
doesn't mean that you're wrong or broken either. It's almost like an overcorrection where like, because we are wanting to move in a more sex positive direction, that there's almost this pressure on people to be like, oh, well, you should be open to liking anything. And like, if you don't, it's on you like to figure that out. And like, your preferences are wrong. Whereas just like with anything, whether it's like the kind of coffee that you like to drink or the clothes (laughs) you like to wear, you're going to have preferences and they're going to be things where like you like what you like. I'm a makeout slut. I fucking love to make out like a high schooler. And some people hate kissing. That's not a good sexual partner for me because I love kissing. And like, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, the like woke sexual forward version of me should just like not care about the fact that I love kissing or I should expect my partner like you have to start being really into this thing that I'm into, which Mm -hmm. is not to say that like two people can't come together and find a middle ground that works for them. You absolutely can. And if there's something that's really important to you, you don't have have to give it up to appease somebody else if you don't want to. Oh, I love that so much. And yeah, I think it really does come back to like the centering of like cishet like penetration and like the pressure Mm -hmm. on like women especially to like like penetration and have that be like the top of your ultimate sex hierarchy when it's like yeah no like making out like that (laughs) is it or like grinding that is it or like eating ass like that is my top (laughs) pick like that is totally amazing and okay yeah and it's seen as like not evolved you know what I mean like I always like you know making out like in high school because people think of making out like oh well that's because you make out ferociously when you're younger because you're not having sex yet. And I'm like, fuck that viewpoint. No, it's like a full body experience. I'm so about it. (laughs) Can be so playful, like can be so passionate. We love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that bottom line with all of these things is like you should have the space to explore what works for you and what Mm -hmm. you enjoy, whether that's solo or it's partnered. And Mm -hmm. I think that can be really scary for people, especially if they're used to following different scripts and things where they're just like, oh God, well, if I'm not doing that, what am I doing? Right? Like what else is out there? And I think people also tend to have a lot of shame sometimes about what they like because it's not seen as the mainstream thing Mm -hmm. and really trying to get rid of some of that stigma around the fact that like, again, if there's consent and you're not hurting anybody else, like you don't have to be ashamed of what it is that you like and enjoy. And like, there are people out there for you who are going to like and enjoy that same stuff. It's just a matter of finding them. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I feel like the conversations like that queer sex educators have and like within the queer community, I found to be like, especially empowering about this, just being like, truly, there are people who are into so many different things and all the different things that you are into are not shameful. And they're actually wonderful and hot. And I love that for you. (laughs) (laughs) We love it. We love it. Get after it. Go Mm -hmm. live your best sexy life. Absolutely. Hey, y'all. Let me take a moment to tell you a little bit more about Ample and Rooted, an inclusive therapy practice that is directed by my dear friend and colleague, Nethery Falchuk. The awesome practitioners at Ample and Rooted not only serve folks locally here in Austin, they also serve folks online all over the globe. Through therapy, mindfulness practices, courses, trainings, and events, they support, guide, and hold space for folks to feel valued and nourished. 
We talk a lot about systems of oppression on the show and how they can disconnect you from your inner knowing. And the Ample and Rooted group believes it is your birthright to both inhabit and trust your physical and emotional self without shame. Luckily for y'all, the kind folks at Ample and Rooted created an exclusive guided meditation on cultivating self-trust for listeners of Conjuring Up Courage. You can access the free guided meditation and learn more about Ample and Rooted in the show notes for this episode. So speaking of living a sexy life, I want to talk about some specific sexual stuff. (laughs) First of all, I'm obsessed with the fact that your master's thesis was on sexting. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, now we must talk sexting because how can we not? So Mm -hmm. I have done minimal sexting in my life because I just got out of a 10-year relationship. I recently got divorced Mm -hmm. and it was sad, but it was good. Mm -hmm. It's all the things, all the feelings, ultimately heading in the best direction in my life. And so is my ex-partner who I'm still really good friends with. But, you know, we were together for a long time. And like, Mm -hmm. I think maybe at the very beginning of our relationship, there was a little bit of like sexting, but it wasn't like the way I think people treat sexting now where, you know, a lot of times almost like a there could be like a mutual masturbation element to sexting and like kind of taking it further where it was like, we would do it in kind of like a flirty way or it's like yeah. fun, but we weren't kind of taking it to that level or taking it more graphic. So I'm about to head back out into the world of dating for the first time in a very long time. I feel like sexting is like a really popular thing right now. So tell me about this. Tell me about the sexting. Yeah. Well, I mean, definitely like in terms of like COVID when we couldn't like be having physical intimacy with each other, I feel like sexting was a really amazing way to like get that connection. And like, yeah, sexting can be like a whole broad spectrum of things. And there are so many things you can do. Yeah. Like from like that flirty texting to sending like videos or like voice notes or photos or like phone sex. There are so many different ways to express yourself sexually, connect with another person, talk about what you like, what you don't like. And if you want to do like video sex, phone sex, sexting, mutual masturbation situation is a great way to feel connected to other people. I feel like the nudes and the lewds have become a really big thing with Mm -hmm. the technology that we have. And it's funny because I used to be a lawyer. And so I'm very terrified from like a privacy perspective, Yeah, especially if it's someone who you're just like starting to meet and get to know. Like I have a lot of friends who are like pretty chill about it and they trust other people. And I'm more like (laughs) distrustful of like, which I also find hilarious because I literally have so much of my life on the internet. Um, (laughs) that Like of all people, I'm surprised that I care as much about this. But I think it's very much that lawyer brain where I'm just like, oh, God, how do I protect myself and yeah. like make sure this stuff doesn't end up in the wrong hands? Mm-hmm. No, that's totally legit. An app that I recommend is Signal. It's funny because it's technically used a lot by tech bros who know that your data is being collected by like <laughs> all the like tech giants like Snapchat and like Facebook and Instagram. I mean, Facebook is Instagram, but right. <laughs> yeah, but Signal is like super like double secure, like lockdown. So it's like a more secure way of sending photos. I totally have Signal and I never thought to use it for that purpose. That's actually really smart. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also like a 
good like filtering technique if you're like talking to someone and you're like, hey, actually, like I kind of feel more comfortable doing like sexting or nude sharing on this different app. Like, would you feel comfortable downloading this app and like mm-hmm. exploring it? Because I think people who are going to re- be respectful of like your boundaries and like consent and just more knowledgeable about how the world works are going to be more down to be like, yeah, like it's no problem. I'll download an app. That is cool for me. There's also photo vaults where like you can put photos that are behind a password. Oh, if you have any like family going through your phone or like <laughs> teenage, like, I don't know, children in your life that are like scrolling through your photos. It can be good to be like, they're here behind a password so I can protect them that way. For sure. Cause I definitely use like the hidden image thing on my iPhone, but like anyone who knows that it exists can go find that folder. It's not like it's password protected. So that seems like a safer bet for sure. Mm-hmm. Always good to have more tools. And there's also the like, keep your face out of the photo. Like if you have any like recognizable tattoos, blur them out or oh, like. That's hard when your whole body has tattoos <laughs> on it, Eva. I know. And also set tattoos are so wonderful. It's just a great part of the sex. But yes, I have heard that as well, that any kind of features where they could for sure know it was you can be good to take out of it. So if you're someone who maybe has less tattoos or just like a tattoo, (laughs) definitely something you can consider to blur those out of the photo. (laughs) Yeah. I've also heard to watermark your nudes or your photos with the name of the person you're sending them to. So if anybody ever leaks them, you know who leaked them because it'll have their watermark name on it. Oh, that's super smart and (laughs) sneaky. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All the harm reduction and all the tips. Perfect. We're basically just like using the fact that I'm about to start dating as the case study for this episode here because like I said, we want to have a queer focus today. So this will be my first time getting to do queer dating because as I mentioned, straight to bisexual to lesbian pipeline. And I had came out as bisexual when I was married to a cishet man in a monogamous relationship. So I've not had an opportunity to explore that yet. It's terrifying because I'm like, oh my God, how do I flirt with girls? Like, how do I have casual sex? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. So help me, Eva. Help me and the baby queers listening who are like, oh shit, we're coming out of this pandemic. We learned things about ourselves. Now what do we do? Oh my gosh. That's such a big question. Okay. Now what do we do? I mean, we can break it down, right? Step one is I got to find people to flirt with or have sex with or date with. So like, you know, my thought was get on the apps because that seems to be what people do. That wasn't really a thing when I started dating my ex-husband. And so now I'm just like, okay, I guess I have to go on some dating apps and Mm -hmm. see what happens, right? Yes, a great place to start. I would say make a couple profiles. I mean, it regionally also different in terms of what apps are popular, but like, Tinder, Hinge, Bumble. I like Bumble because you would think it might be a little bit counterintuitive because the whole gimmick of Bumble is that like (laughs) (laughs) the guy has to message first. But basically like it kind of avoids the problem of like sapphics, neither person messaging each other forever or like being too shy that like once you match, like you literally have to like start a conversation within the first 24 hours. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Bumble's also really great because it has a lot of functionality on their app to list a lot of information about yourself, like what type of relationship you're looking for, your political leaning 
<laughs> your horoscope, your zodiac sign. Very um, important if we're doing queer <laughs> dating. So all the queers can be like, no, even Scorpio. I don't want to. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. And I'm going to stay away. But yeah, it like prompts kind of those like key things like in values that you want to share, mm-hmm. which I think is helpful. So I would say do a bunch of them. I've heard at least here in the US that her is a very popular one for sapphics. So. Yeah, I've heard kind of like mixed things about her, but give it a go. Throw it all at the wall. See what sticks. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> what other choice do I have? <laughs> in terms of like messaging to combat the sapphic nervousness about messaging, I message first immediately once we've matched to kind of like prevent myself from overthinking. Mm, Smart. Yeah. And I usually do like a compliment in the flirty zone to kind of help with also the sapphic problem of being like, are they just being friendly? Even though we literally (laughs) met on a dating app. (laughs) Do they just want to be friends? So I try to set the tone kind of early and then ask them a question about something on their profile to kind of get the conversation going. And I feel like there is this fear and I've heard of this and I'm, you know, starting to think about it myself of like one Most queer folks, and especially women who are about to start dating women, are like, all right, well, I know what I don't like when men do it to me. So, you know, not wanting to fall into that, like, am I overstepping? Am I being inappropriate? Can make people kind of pull back too much where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like there's a big difference between like being really rude to someone and flirting. And then because so many of us are used to straightness as the norm, there's the fear of like, oh, God, but if I'm out at the bar and like I'm flirting with a straight woman, like it's going to be really awkward. And like, what am I going to do? You know, I feel like I see that a lot from baby queers too, from both men and women of just like, oh God, but what do I do if they're not gay? Which Mm -hmm. I also find funny because like, of course, while it may not happen as much just from a sheer numbers thing, like you Mm -hmm. can also be out at a bar as a straight person and accidentally flirt with a gay person. So (laughs) like that possibility is always there. But I think there's just like this extra sense of like fear and rejection if you're queer. Yeah, no, totally. Oof, 100%. I feel like consent can be a part of like the solution to kind of both fears, like the fear around the idea of like being a predatory lesbian or like falling into the like bro tropes. (laughs) Yeah, bro tropes, the like sexist, like ways of flirting, like consent can be a big part of that. Just being like, hey, like, are you open to being flirted with right now? Yeah. And, and this like does happen. I was at a bar once and a woman grabbed my ass and I was like, I wouldn't like this from man. And I don't like it from you. We were like not in conversation prior to that. And so no. it's like you still need to be considerate of the other person. A hundred percent. And I mean, asking someone like, can I flirt with you? Or like, do you want to dance with me? Or like, can I buy you a drink? Like, maybe that feels a little bit awkward, but I honestly feel like that sets up such a sense of like safety and like open communication that people are going to dig in general, even if it is a little bit awkward. Also, that was how I first started flirting with the girl that made me realize I was gay. I genuinely slid into her DMs and was like, can I flirt with you? So. Oh, I love that. Proof it can work. It can work for sure. I mean, I think doing the flirting and like existing in queer specific spaces can be a way to help avoid that. And Mm -hmm. I would say that was also going to be my suggestion on top of like downloading all the apps (laughs) would be to like go to queer spaces, like whether that's like online or in person and just start 
meeting people too. It just like open, like meeting people as friends, like making those connections. Cause you never know, like who might introduce you to someone or just like getting comfortable in the space and like knowing who's who that can just like increase your comfort and also increase your range of potential partners. Yeah. And I think like the next step in like the fear pyramid of baby <laughs> queerness that I'm creating here, yes. that's a great post idea. We'll make the baby queer fear pyramid <laughs> is like, okay, so you're talking to people. Maybe you finally get some dates going. And like, there's this weird thing where, you know, I'm 31. I'm sexually experienced in straight sex. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now I'm going to go out there and have queer sex. And there's this feeling of like being a bumbling teenager of like, mm. oh God, I don't have experience in certain things that, and like, you know, almost that feeling of like being behind, which I logically know is not true. I have a wonderful therapist, <laughs> but oh. th- throwing that out there because I know I'm not the only one who has felt that. And I'm sure there are yeah. people listening who are like, oh God, yeah, I've, I've really worried about that. And like, I know some people worry about like, oh, like, do I need to disclose that this is my first time or first couple of times doing this? And I'm just curious what you think about all of that. Yeah. My feeling about this is that like every new person that you sleep with, you're basically starting from scratch anyway. Because like how we talked about that people like totally different things, Mm -hmm. that having some previous sexual experience can be helpful. You're like, okay, I'm working with like a general knowledge set, but it can kind of only take you so far when you're with a new partner. Because you have no idea what sex acts they like, how they like to be touched, how you're going to have good sex is by like communicating with that person and like them teaching you what they like in bed. For example, like if you have been sleeping with a bunch of different people, but they really like oral sex, for example, and then the next person that you sleep with really likes grinding. None of your other partners liked grinding. It doesn't really matter that you've had all this sexual experience because you're still going to be learning it like new again. So that's really my philosophy that like, as long as you're taking into these experiences, like an openness to communicate and play and experience give and take pleasure with the person that you're sleeping with, you're kind of always going to be starting from scratch anyway. So you're not behind at all. I'm so glad that you mentioned the communication piece, because I think when we think about casual sex in media, there's almost never any communication, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the instant attraction, ripping each other's clothes off, having (laughs) sex thing where it's like, we didn't need to talk about it. And it was amazing. And I'm like, I think that might be just a little rose colored glasses version of like having casual sex with strangers. Yeah. I would even say my philosophy is like the opposite of that, because if you're having casual sex, kind of the main purpose of doing that is to like experience pleasure and have good sex. The stakes are so low in terms of like awkwardness and communication. I'm like, we both know why we're here. Why don't we cut the crap and just like get it out on the table? Like, what do we like? What do we not like? Like, give me the TLDR so we can start having like great sex as soon as possible. Oh, yeah. That's the thing (laughs) is it's like if the ultimate goal is to like feel better, then communication is only going to help that. And I hate Mm -hmm. that we have this idea in our society that like talking Mm -hmm. and like not just like going straight to the banging is like unsexy. And then it's like, oh, it's going to interrupt the flow. And I'm like, no, it's going to make things better. Oh, it's so upsetting to me. It is kind of like rape culture that like talking during sex or like saying what you like ruins the mood where it's like, 
Not that at all. I would also say that like sexting can be a great tool to use in terms of this because it can be nerve wracking. Just be like, what do you like? (laughs) But I mean, also maybe not necessarily like, what are you into? Like what type of stuff? But yeah, sexting can be a great way to do that. When I was on dating apps before, I used to ask people three questions. I used to ask people, what do you think is the most overrated sex act? What do you think is the most underrated sex act? And what do you think is the most correctly rated sex act? And I feel like that like starts a very like flirty conversation, but you can get a sense of like what people kind of like. That is a very fun dating app opener (laughs) or like conversation continuer. If you're like starting to be interested in somebody that is very clever. There was someone I saw on TikTok whose like entire account is based on one of her openers on I think Tinder. And it was like three things. And this is a straight person and it's a straight woman. And so Mm -hmm. she like lets the men pick one of the three things. And it's like one was compliment, two was dad joke, and three was was she used different terminology, but basically read them for filth. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. That's super fun. It's so great. And so she like puts the conversations up and she'll pull up the photo that she like dragged them for. (laughs) And I'm like, this is amazing. And it's so (laughs) smart because you can immediately see, does this person have a good sense of humor or not? Yeah. (laughs) Like, are they going to take offense to everything? (laughs) Oh my gosh. My immediately thought is like the TikTok audio slash from the musical six, but like, this is modern feminism talking. (laughs) Just, Just roasting men on TikTok. Like, that's it. One of the other things that I was thinking about was this idea that we expect any like sexual partner that we have to just know what feels good for us. Mm-hmm. And like, there's this idea that like, ooh, well, the best partner is one who can just guess what I like and do it. And that's so hot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Or that like, that indicates like the strength of the relationship or like the level of intimacy. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody who could mind read. If you know anybody who can mind read, <laughs> let me know. We but... have questions for them. Yeah, I haven't met anybody like that. No, and I think that, again, so much of this is because of the sex scenes that we see in media and we see in mm-hmm. porn and other places where it's like so much of that is just fake. It's bullshit. It's not a true showing of like what's possible during real life sex between actual non-actor humans. And I think that opening ourselves up to the idea that there's like no one right way to have sex and there's no one right way to talk about it that allows people to be like, okay, I can figure out what works for me. And I also think it takes off so much pressure. Like if you go into every interaction with a lover being like, oh, well, (laughs) you didn't know I like it this way. I guess it's over. Like you're nixing so many potential partners that way by not being like, oh, like let's talk about it. Oh, I know the other thing that I wanted to say was someone Mm. had a post about this recently and I'll try to find it. I can't remember which sex educator had put it up, but the post was about like in the moment when you're having sex with somebody, the very open-ended question, what do you like, can be really scary and it can be hard to answer, especially if you're not used to talking about your sexuality. And so trying to break it down into some more specific 
questions or even being like trying something and being like, do you like this can be a little bit better for people in the moment. Because I think for myself, like if someone just out of nowhere was like, yeah, so tell me what you like, that could be really scary for me if I'm actually in a sexual interaction. Like maybe if we weren't together and we were just having conversation, it'd be different. But it's like, if your clothes are already off and someone's just like, tell me what you like, sometimes I could be like, oh God, I don't know. How do I answer this question? Yeah, that's a really good point. Both the like, maybe have that conversation over text or like during a conversation when you're both clothed or yeah, like giving options. Like, do you want to do this or that? Yeah. Options are super helpful or again, like different areas. So it's like, okay, in terms of kissing, you know, what do you prefer here? Like, how would you like me to touch this part of your body? Like that can be a little more like, oh, I know the answer to this versus like in the whole possible realm of sex, tell me what you want. And so it's like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you like being touched like more roughly or gently here? Or like, are there parts of your body that you like to be touched or not to be touched? That's always a good one to do in advance. (laughs) And we've talked a lot about exploration and figuring out what you like over the course of this conversation. And so Mm. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts for people who are like, okay, well, maybe I want to start exploring sexually with myself because I don't really know the answers to this. And I want to see what happens. Do you have any advice for people about like how they can actually do that, how they can learn, you know, different ways or like ideas for touching themselves or trying different things that they could then potentially take to partners or just keep it with themselves? You know, there's, some things that people do solo that they really like that they don't want to do with a partner, which is totally fine too. Ooh, good question. I think giving like dedicating some time to yourself where there's no expectations or pressure to like either like have an orgasm or like try X thing where the goal is just to like explore how different touches feel on your body, different positions and like really like leading with pleasure following like a trail or like a path and like you just follow where the pleasure path leads you. I think sex toys are also a super cool way to like try different sensations and you can like try sex toys like in different ways on different parts of your body. Porn, if you're watching like queer porn, (laughs) if you're watching more like independently created porn can be a great way to get different ideas with the like knowledge in mind that like porn is meant to be entertainment. It's not meant to be instruction. But yeah, I really love audio erotica. Reading erotica can also be a cool way to get ideas and suggestions. I think there's some great educational materials out there as well. I know I had a conversation about this once with Erica Smith again about, I was like, okay, like, are there any great resources out there for Mm -hmm. women? And one of the things she recommended, but the title is not great, is a book called Girl Sex 101 um, by Allison Moon. So I think that Mm -hmm. could be a really great one. I always love and recommend OMG Yes, which is Mm -hmm. like the online educational platform. Like you pay to have access to the series within it. But like, I honestly didn't know all the different ways that one could touch a vulva until I got OMG Yes. No one's teaching you this necessarily. And so if it's only ever been one way your whole life and you haven't had that thought to explore or like opened yourself up to that, sometimes it can help to have suggestions where it's like, OMG Yes is literally broken down into lessons of different kinds of techniques where there's like written description, audio description, 
video that you can watch. And they even have like a little interactive thing you can do on like a tablet where you can practice it on like a vulva image on the screen. Not even kidding. So yeah, it's super cool. And honestly, OMG Yes is one of the first times that I saw like naked people doing sexual things outside of like a porn context where it's literally like, this is educational. And so at first it was a little bit weird. I was like, oh gosh. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) well, this makes perfect sense. Of course we would want to (laughs) have these kinds of resources out in the world where it's just like, it's literally different people talking about like, oh yeah, I like to do this and this feels good. Or my partner taught me this. And I'm like, oh, I never would have even thought about this. Now I can try it. And it's like, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But sometimes it's nice to not have to just like create it on your own and mm-hmm. to have options to try instead of being like, okay, let me see if I can invent something, which can again, feel scary when it's very open-ended. Yeah, I think that Beducated also has similar courses with like demos and kind of like walking through I will put them into the show notes so everyone has access to those really easily. I think that sometimes we treat sex very differently than other things in life, where it's like sex is just like anything else. Like practice is helpful. Mm -hmm. Playing around and figuring out what you like is going to be really helpful. Like for some reason, sex is painted as this thing that like you just do. And I think if people could be more intentional about sex and dating, to be honest, like Mm -hmm. all these things that we see as like, oh yeah, it's just like, you just know how to do it and you do it, that you can really make it something that works for you. And that feels a lot less like frustrating or like you're quote unquote failing for doing it the wrong way when there really is no wrong way. Yeah, hundred percent. There is so much pressure on like sexual performance and it gets like tied up into our worth in a way that like other skills in other areas of our lives like aren't tied up in when it's true. Like sexual performance is not like this finite like quantity that either you have or you don't like it is really like you develop different skills like overall in terms of communication but also like specific skills with each partner that you have and there's no shame in learning (laughs) no there's no shame in learning you know I think that an insult that's always thrown around is like oh yeah they're bad in bed Mm. and it's like well that person may not have met your needs and yes it's definitely possible that this person is lacking some of the skills that Mm -hmm. would make them better in bed but that's not like a innate thing right it's not like oh you're just a person who's bad in bed and you're screwed lol pun unintended (laughs) forever um like you know these are all things that can be improved on assuming that a person wants to and so if anyone's listening out there and they just are like oh god I'm just like not good at this this isn't my thing like so many other things in life truly you can learn and grow in this area and it doesn't mean like you're stuck or that like you will never get better also bad is subjective good is subjective right Everyone likes different Mm -hmm. things as we've talked about through this whole episode. So just because one person wasn't as compatible sexually doesn't mean that somebody else won't absolutely love whatever you already got going on in terms of your style. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I've like started writing notes for different posts from our conversation now. I'm like, ah. (laughs) I do that all the time from my podcast episodes. So do it. (laughs) So many good 
all the world needs to know. <laughs> there is. And I'm so grateful that you are one of the lovely humans who is out there putting this info out there. I especially mm-hmm. love that, you know, it's queer centered and queer inclusive coming from you because we do need more of that. There's plenty of straight centered sex education out there. And like at this point in my life, that's just not what I need. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs> of course. I really appreciate you making time for this conversation. And to wrap up, I have been asking all of my Pride Palooza guests to fill in a blank because mm-hmm. the theme of Pride Palooza this year is queerness is. So if oh. you could just fill in that blank for you in terms of what queerness is, I would love to hear it. Queerness is power, authenticity, community, joy. Oh, yeah. All those things. All of those things. Queerness mm-hmm. is so multifaceted, which is what I love about it. Yeah. For folks who want to find you online, where can they do that? And also, how can people best support you at this time? Yeah. So folks can find me mostly on Instagram at What's My Body Doing. Um, I also have a back catalog of sex ed videos on the YouTube channel, What's My Body Doing. I would love for folks to follow me on Instagram and subscribe to my email newsletter. If you go to my website at evabloom.ca and scroll down to the bottom, you can join the email newsletter. You get lots of like generally kind of like monthly newsletters with updates from me and ponderings and resources. I also just finished launching my first online course called Fuck the Patriarchy, Fuck Yourself, which is fabulous name, (laughs) by the way. Thank you. (laughs) Which is totally related to everything we talked about today. Like really the purpose of the course is like unlearning all of these scripts and all of these like cis heteronormative frameworks for sexuality that we grew up with and then building the foundation to figure out what you like and to create a sexual relationship with yourself that feels really authentic and sexy. So the cohort for the summer, we've already started, it's all full. But if that sounds interesting to you, there's a page on my website under Fuck the Patriarchy, Fuck Yourself. If you want to learn more and join the wait list for hopefully the fall cohort that is also available. Sweet. I will put those things in the show notes so people can access all of that. And everyone go follow Eva. You will not be disappointed. (laughs) So much great stuff there to learn. I learned a lot from this conversation and I can't wait to share it with everyone. And that's our show for today. If you're enjoying Conjuring Up Courage, don't forget to subscribe through your podcast provider of choice so you never miss an episode. Additionally, if you haven't left a rating and review in the Apple Podcasts app yet, you can do so from any Apple device to help more people find and benefit from the show. I also love hearing from listeners, so feel free to take a screenshot from your podcast player, post on social media, and tag me. My username is at Shoray on all platforms. Finally, you can sign up for my email newsletter, The Sunday Share, and get more details about how to work with me by going to shoredavity.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode.